If a developer has to provide a player with information about the characters and story of a game before you have had a chance to experience it, then how well exactly is the game built and is it even important to care? Welcome to the How To Fix Gaming podcast. I'm Keo Live At Home and this is a podcast not so much about the video games themselves, but the way people play them. Okay, so the question I'm posing today is, do we really need to know or have exposition in video games? The most important part of games is the actual gameplay itself. So along the way, people naturally create their own interpretation and can fill in the narrative. So we know video games are useful for many reasons, and people are finding more and more ways to make it useful creatively in our everyday lives. For many of those reasons, however, there is always the intention of becoming popular or profitable, and a creator's intention in making the game is never the same as to why people are drawn to it or choose to play it. Just like the interactions with people in real life, you will never really get to know a person from the inside out. So even though video games are a tangible thing that can be assessed and interpreted, everybody's interpretation will always be different to another's experience with the game. In saying this, can the legacy of a game become less about the content of the game itself, but more about everyone's different experiences with it? Well, more so today than ever before, this is true. Along with nostalgia, where our memories of the game bring forward the water cooler talk among our friends and colleagues, reviews of games actually already act much in that way already. We love both of those things for much the similar reason as why we love the idea of campfire stories. If you take away the critical interpretation that a review is putting forward, you were left with the experience that each person has that was involved in playing the game. This is that it's their story about their experience with the game, not their review of the actual game. It is in the way that they enjoyed the game that we are attached to, and for much a similar reason for why we watch people streaming games. With watching people live online, we are experiencing their personal endeavor in real time, and that is one of the things we enjoy the most about other people's company. When this becomes a collective experience, the whole event has a heightened sense of enjoyment because we are experiencing what it is to be in the shoes of another human being. So if everyone was living in a world where they had to review each and every game that they ever played, there in theory would be less backlash as there would be an understanding that each review was that person's experience of a game. Much like other mandatory things that we have to do during the day, like eating and sleeping, if people had more of a clear-cut indication of how video games affect our minds and bodies, there would be more of a critical eye on what the actual person is doing and their experiences while playing a game that leads to their choices in reviewing a game. Once again, like with streaming, that information is fed to a consumer directly and instantly for personal gratification 
and to an extent even the ability to help out a streamer in playing a game. So the reactions of a streamer while performing these functions are in a sense the goal of performing as opposed to experiencing the story in the games themselves as streamers may chop and change between different games and you will not get that full experience from a single streamer unless you were in check with that person every single time they stream. Two of the requirements as a baseline to telling a good story is the narrative and the presentation, which are also the qualities that we hold closely to us. And having a look at games that value the gameplay over the story elements, generally you'll see that there is a trade-off to satisfy the intention of the game. Having a look at one of the more recent examples, the Doom 2016 reboot of the classic series, it is hard to say that any of the games actually value story, where they're more about the presentation and skill within the confines of the mechanics in the game. The upcoming sequel to the reboot, Doom Eternal, is trying to go down more of a route where the story is becoming more involved. I'd like to wager with that that the developers may actually overcompensate with gameplay mechanics in order to fulfill what they're trying to do with the story. You can see this with the way that they've added new abilities like being able to climb and to grapple where they're adding elements that more serve modern puzzle-based shooters as opposed to the run-and-gun style of the old games. The new gameplay mechanics may be trying to bring the series in a new direction, but may not actually serve the fans the way that it is intended. We can already see this in the way they've upped the way that the gory kills are performed to new varieties and it seems as by outdoing the mechanics in the previous game, it will be more of a distraction and may very well upset the flow of the game instead of helping the new story elements. So one of the things it could be said that we look for in video games is a vehicle to create our own narrative. You can see this in the way that we create our own reasons to play video games. For some people, it is being a completionist, getting all of the achievements and trophies and for others it can be the becoming the best at a particular game. For me personally, it's about engaging with as many experiences as possible. I use achievements and trophies as a checklist for completing a game, but it's not what I value the most. If I want to experience a game more than once, I'll find a way to experience it on another platform, both to support the developers as well as looking for differences and keeping the experiences fresh. I value interpretation over most other elements in entertainment, so I like to see changes in context between mediums as stories are being adapted into books, films, and TV. With this, it is possible to see how well, or as in most cases with early adaptations, how terribly ideas translate into other formats. To use film as an example, Exposition may be required where characters have limited screen time 
and the filmmaker needs you to relate to the way the characters and all the pieces fit into place. In games, however, the time you spend in the world is the most valuable aspect of discovering what the story has to offer. As an example of this being used badly between the film and the video game medium, the way that Square Enix used the film Kingsglaive Final Fantasy XV as exposition, instead of developing the plot of the film into a workable piece of gameplay. In this scenario, we ended up with a glorified trailer for the film. It was inserted into the game where the plot of the film would have taken place. It could be said that if the Kingsglaive story was added to the game as it was, then it may have broken the flow of the game, which could have ruined the elements of the road trip adventure that Noctis and his buddies would have experienced. To counter this, however, it could also be said that by not focusing on the death of Noctis's father, and by disconnecting the player, or robbing the player if that's the way you want to look at it, from feeling the emotional weight that comes with experiencing his death, you could actually connect more with Noctis in the context of his detached relationship with his father and his duties. This would actually justify the roadship elements of the game and why we were allowed to take our time fishing for hours on end and hunting for multicolored frogs in a huge open world. So in a way, we are better off without the Kingsglaive film or the throwaway cutscene of Noctis's father dying. What we should possibly have gotten in its place is the personal development of Noctis realizing the weight of his duties and his inner feelings about losing his dad. At least with this, then when it comes to areas later in the game where characters are brought back years later and instantly reconnect and pick up where they left off, you may actually feel a little bit more for the situation because at this point Noctis may have actually proven to both the player and to the people of the world that he's reflected on the situation and wants to actually restore the world to the light. So there's a difference between adding exposition outside of a game to adding supplementary material that people can enjoy alongside the games. This extra material can be great for world building such as the survival guide New York Collapse that was released alongside Tom Clancy's The Division. This book gives you real world material in the context of the game but also adds the side story of April Kelleher. Now this story isn't required, but it can be enjoyed because you also find echoes of April throughout the game that add to the devastation that unfolded in her life. But like the survival guide, collecting all of the echoes was also not required. It is just there to add to the world. Leading on from there though, for the sequel, Division 2, they actually created the novel Broken Dawn, and it continues April's story, but the thing, the difference about this one is that although it's a novel and not directly related to the game, it actually gives you more information on the final faction you meet in the game, the Black Tusks, than you actually experience in the game itself. One of the major complaints about Division 2 at this point is the story elements that are lacking in the game, 
in Broken Dawn, you can actually find that there's more to care about and it gives you reason to want to fight for the world, which is something that a lot of people didn't feel as they played through this game. You can very much tell that the developers at Massive Entertainment are trying to get people to engage with the story and the content of the game as they interact on a daily and weekly basis with the community. One of the big additions to the expansion Warlords of New York is that if you start a character at level 30 out of the gate in the New York area, the game recognizes you as a new character and interacts with you differently than as if you brought your character from the main game. This is an interesting way to handle this as it would be expected that as you would never have experienced the preceding events in Washington DC, this means that without the context of the main game, your actions as a new player are potentially going to be unique and in this sense, a story from a new perspective can't rely on exposition. That is, the original Division 2 storyline as a base, as the new baseline is actually your interactions in the new expansion Warlords of New York. Okay, so after breaking down some examples, in regards to story, exposition, and supplementary material, it is all about how you, the player, interacts with all of these elements. A lot of people are going to just play the games and not check outside sources for material. So in a sense, nothing but what is in the game matters. If you have an MMORPG that adds expansion after expansion, such as Final Fantasy XIV or World of Warcraft, then if you play from the beginning of the story to play for the story specifically, then you are playing for that experience anyway. If you're skipping the story with magic money-making potions that let you get up to date to play with your friends, then you don't need story or exposition at all. You are just playing for the gameplay. In saying this, all a developer has to do is actually put the content in their games. You can world build for those that want to sink their teeth into the lore while allowing room for anybody to just jump in and have some fun. We've seen developers such as those work on Call of Duty try to take focus away from the story by only making their game multiplayer, when in fact the Call of Duty games more often than not have actually got the balance between their game modes right. Players just don't get every mode in every game and it is self-contained, which in terms of marketing gives each type of player exactly what they want, except for Battle Royale, which that game mode has truly been flogged to death. Okay, so I'll end it there for this episode. To check out my content outside this podcast, you can follow me on Twitter at KeoLiveAtHome. I've been testing my streams on Mixer and Twitch. At this point, I will most likely settle for Restream as a service that gets me live in both those places. That's twitch.tv slash KeoLiveAtHome and mixer.com slash KeoLiveAtHome. If you would like to follow this podcast, you can find it on anchor.com slash howtofixgaming or on any other podcast service where you can also leave a review if it allows you to do so. Thanks for listening.